Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Get up to 30% off wedding jewelry at bluenile.com. And remember the joy of your wedding day forever. Blue Nile offers everything from diamond and lab-grown diamond wedding bands to classic pearls, earrings you can design yourself, even gorgeous sapphire pieces for your something blue. Whatever you choose, Blue Nile's pieces are all graded for excellence, for a lasting memento as brilliant as the love that inspired it. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to the Times Business Podcast, where we look ahead to what's likely to be making the news over the coming days. I'm Robert Miller. That means this week we're going to be talking jobs, wages and prices ahead of the Bank of England's quarterly inflation report. And then there's the question of oil, up, down or perhaps somewhere in between. And finally, it's just what the doctor ordered, drugs. We'll be asking what to expect from a clutch of pharmaceutical companies reporting results. I'm joined by Philip Aldrich, economics editor of The Times, Robin Pagnamenta, our energy editor, and Marcus LaRue, The Times industrial correspondent. Welcome to you all, Philip. Let's start with you. The quarterly inflation report. A, what new is it going to tell us? And B, perhaps you could weave into that. Why should we pay attention to it? Just to remind you, the quarterly inflation report is the bank's uh, sort of economic outlook, which it produces every three months. And uh, we've had a very clear signal from uh, the governor that uh, interest rates are not going to go up in the immediate future. And most market participants don't expect them to rise towards until towards the end of 2016. Why is it important? It's because of the analysis that's going to accompany that to explain what it is that is de- delaying uh, interest rate rises because people, I, I, I saw a former MPC Bank of England rate setter recently, very recently, who said for the last two years they'd been expecting interest rates to have started to rise. And, uh, so the analysis is important um, and that's why you've, you've, got to, you've got to pay attention. You said about uh, Mark Carney, the governor's already made clear that it's going to be at least until the latter end of this year. Some people are even saying in, into next year. Uh, Kristen Forbes, I believe, also said, didn't she, that uh, wages weren't growing fast enough. Mm. Is that a surprise or is it really something that seems to be almost an economic fact, part of our, our structure nowadays, isn't it? Wages are constantly under pressure, downward pressure. I mean, this should this should be quite a big part of the of the analysis in in the inflation report, um, and it is it is a big economic conundrum. You've got you've got unemployment at five point one percent at levels where you're seeing um, bottlenecks for you know recruitment bottlenecks, uh, which should be pushing wages up, but uh, it's not happening. Um, part of the reason is is the shape of the of the labor market you've got more and more people coming in on lower wages part of the reason is because a few people feel more confident about their uh, the economy they're actually working fewer hours so uh, the fall in hours is actually uh, causing the weekly earnings uh, to to decline which is the measure that that, uh, that, that the bank has been looking at uh, and also it's possible that basically the the fact that inflation is still so low means that that uh, companies 
companies, when they come round to the, when, when they get around to the pay rounds, uh, they're setting uh, the pay rises at a, at a lower level than they would have done had inflation been been higher. So it comes a, becomes a bit self reinforcing. So this kind of analysis is going to be absolutely key to uh, to, to to the inflation report. Phil, I just wanted to ask about the about commodity prices and the impact that they're having on inflation in the UK was them was yeah so every t- every time the Bank of England produces uh, a new outlook they they do talk about uh, why we're so far short of the two percent inflation target because we're at 0.2 percent at the moment and this about three quarters of the shortfall is is caused by the oil price uh, exchange rate effects and commodity and, and and cheap commodities and you know a, an enormous part of the reason why uh, we're not raising rates uh, is because of of this uh, this lowering effect on inflation. One thing that all commodities people say is that volatility is here to stay, and that's completely outside the the sort of pump prime monetary policy of of the Bank of England. So if you're ever forever either putting interest rates on hold or or, mm. or or raising or cutting on the basis of what's happened to the price of oil, you're you're sort of yeah, yeah. The, ba- the Bank of England tends to look through. They say they look through uh, the oil price effects uh, normally. Um, uh, so they certainly did in 2008 when uh, oil took inflation up to 5.2 percent. And uh, you know, they will again reiterate that they will look through it over the long term. So the fact that we have low inflation right now deters them from raising rates immediately. But uh, if they see inflation rising to, to around two percent over over two years, and once inflation starts to rise, they they be, they they will potentially start to uh, start to increase interest rates, even though inflation will be still very close to zero. Okay, well, since we're talking oil, let's move on to that specifically, Robin. Pagnamenza, energy editor, uh, Royal Dutch Shell, full year results and BP half half year figures. First of all, what do we expect from BP? There's no question this is going to be a very difficult quarter for BP with oil prices at uh, the current levels. You know, this is it's going to be extremely difficult for their upstream exploration and production arm. But there's also um, increasing uh, pressure on their margins in their downstream business, their refining and marketing business. This is a company that is very much in hunkering down mode. We may hear more on on, uh, cost cutting. We may hear more on job reductions. We heard a little bit about that um, last week on their upstream arm we may hear more on their on their marketing arm uh, another issue which is sort of coming up on the horizon at bp i don't know whether we'll hear anything next week but it's certainly going to be an increasing issue this year is the succession uh, bob dudley the ceo took over um in 2010 in the aftermath of the macondo disaster you know a moment of real crisis for bp he's been there now for nearly six years uh, he's 61. You know, he's uh, the 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 question will be um, whether they're going to appoint an insider or someone from outside the business, and and when that will be. Uh, in many respects, this wouldn't be a great time for him to go. Obviously, with the industry undergoing its worst crisis in an extremely long time, but uh, that's that's something else that I think people are going to be looking at um, over the next few months. Marcus, bringing you here in for a moment. I mean. We're talking earlier about the fundamental effect oil is having on economics, and as Philip said, a very important part of the monetary policy uh, committee decisions. In some ways, they're now these companies, particularly at the mercy of global events, aren't they? Global markets more so than say, I mean, pharmaceutical companies. We're going to talk about it a bit later, but oil is right in the thick of it, isn't it? And there's often, presumably, not a lot the management can do about it. Well, I suppose that's that, that's correct. There, the ultimate. Price takers, they can't, you know, they can't put the BP logo on it and and stick a ten percent premium on it. Um, although plenty of mining companies do do try, 
which is why you see you know the the, the minute the penny drops that this price reaction is 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 a um is a long-term issue that will last for for more than than a, than a financial year you see these brutal cuts in and and headcounts i mean when you when you tally up certainly with big oil you know shell and shell and bp only started cutting jobs in the last few months really robin despite the fact that oil's been been on the slide for you know 18 months now behind the curve robin um, you could you could argue that. I mean, some of them have been more behind the curve than others. Uh, Shell was seen as a bit of a laggard, although they've they've since sort of caught up. I mean, they are under growing pressure to to reduce costs, uh, and obviously the the other issue which people are starting to think about more and more is the dividend. These companies are huge uh, payers of of dividends. You know, vital for pension funds and institutional investors. They're coming under growing pressure. You know, if if we see a continuation of oil prices at these levels, you know, that there are going to be growing questions about their ability to sustain those dividends. Can I ask you to make a call on what's going to happen to the oil price? Is it going to stick around the, these $30 levels or th- between $30 and $50 levels for the next 18 months, two years? Or are we going to see a snapback? I think people have talked about snapbacks. Uh, I think Lord Brown always said that he refused to, to make oil price predictions, um, but that seems like a bit of a cop-out. I'm not sure that we're quite at the sort of capitulation end just yet. I think there may be a bit more... You know, a bit more downside to come. I mean, I could see the price going down into the low 20s, possibly even below 20. But I think we are getting to a point now, you know, I think sometime this year we're going to see some kind of a snapback. You know, how how far and how fast is, is anyone's guess. Due to, due to a cut in production by the OPEC um producing states that's a possibility but i think what we are i think what we are seeing now is we're seeing real pain in the u.s uh, fracking industry and that is just kind of starting to happen in earnest now we've already seen some companies go bankrupt but i think we're going to see a whole wave of yeah. of pain um over the coming months and i think that may be you know one of the triggers you could see you know a significant amount of u.s production come off uh, this year that could have an impact and uh, c- that combined with you know um, cuts to the budget of the big uh, international oil companies the Exxon's and BP's and Shell's you know that's also going to start having an impact um, perhaps at the back end of this year. Yes yeah, so actually talking about the US shale gas industry in Davos this year there was a there was a lot of talk about um, uh, the small uh, shale producers going bust and how they've been running out of cash and it's this year when we're going to see a whole swathe of them fall over so yeah that would um, fits with what I, you're saying I think it's very likely I mean I th- but th- having said all of that you know I think um you know th- there is also a, a growing sense within the oil industry that you know that that we're not going to see a kind of rapid you know snapback to you know hundred dollar oil it's just not going to happen we're in a new kind of era now where lower prices are probably more likely perhaps not at the you know uh, in the 20s but you know we, we may not see some of the prices that we saw three or four years years ago for a long time marcus we mentioned uh, we've we've heard about dividends and rolled that shell bp as you've all alluded to very important but equally drug companies pharmaceutical companies i mean we're going to be hearing from glaxo smith klein astrazeneca and smith and nephew results let's uh, concentrate on glaxo smith klein again these are important dividend pairs are but they too, for different reasons, aren't they under just as much pressure in a way as oil companies, energy companies? 
very very different reasons really yes but but uh, i mean most notably the you know what in the jargon they're called payer consolidation so you know uh the health health insurers and and health services like the nhs are just pretty keen not to be handing over money for expensive branded drugs, the blockbusters that have been fueling all of those dividends over the years, and so as a result, you know that all of these guys are running uphill. Um, they're 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 faced with their best sellers running out of out of patents, and so they need to invent new ones to to um, to enjoy that patent protection and the higher prices that brings, which is why you know the the key question for Andrew Whitty, who's been the chief executive of um, of Glaxo since 2008, is how you can breathe life into this 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 behemoth that under fire from people like Neil Woodford, the the, the you know the, the famous celebrated fund manager who's called for him to break up the empire because you know as he said recently it's like running he's basically running four FTSE 100 companies not very well. So for for Sir Andrew to give him his proper title next week, it'll all be about the the, the pipeline of new drugs. He'll be you know sort of saying this is our this is our our prog- progress towards um towards the the pretty ambitious 2020 targets he has of having you know i think a 6 billion dollars new sa- new sales over that period from from new drugs this is when you know this is when the 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 going gets really tough and i think he's he's um uh uh, not exhausting goodwill, but the onus is on him to show that that um, that he can generate growth as well as just making up for those lost um, lost patents. When Andrew Whitty took over, he made a great great noise around the the future of the drug industry being in emerging markets uh, and China. And today, emerging markets are a mess, and Glaxo in particular has had a disastrous experience in China. Are those problems? You know, uh, is that strategy uh, finished? I mean, wh- what's the uh, what's Glaxo's future in in China and other emerging nations? I think that's a, it's a very interesting point. It's, it's one actually that that an area where you probably can generalise slightly, which was when he took over in two thousand and eight. Globalisation was a one way, you know, a one way bet, um, and you had few chief executives in, back in two thousand and eight saying, you know, saying that their future lay in 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 North America and and Europe. I think it is fair to say, obviously they had the big bribery issue in 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 China, but I think it's it's fair to say that generally in pharmaceuticals that that, that chief executives are starting to say, well, actually. Most of the, the jam today is in in small white pills and in, in developed economies, and that you've got a retrenchment about um, not just geographies, but in terms of what you do best. So you're getting kind of consolidations uh, in terms of you know the the the, the type of drugs that the, the 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 big boys are interested in, and there's much more of a focus on being number one or two in whatever it happens to be in oncology and diabetes rather than a jack of all trades you know who, who's you know buccaneering and cutting a swathe through through china in terms of the second line it's roughly said isn't it it takes 10 years to develop a drug from from through the various state stages of approval in different states so if it takes 10 years and millions if not billions of, of dollars what about the second line stocks who get to the sort of phase two clinical trials a lot of which are listed on the stock market does that make them more attractive to drug companies because they've already jumped through some of the earlier very tough hurdles right so that, that is absolutely the, the idea that these biotech companies get you know get to a stage where there are you know complicated agreements or or, or farm-ins with 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 the big boys 
the trouble is spotting them, isn't it? The, uh, and exactly, which is which is where um, where Neil Woodford has 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 made a made great player. That's why he loves the the biotech industry because he thinks that you know if he chooses if he chooses ten that he likes the look of, maybe two or three of them come off and and you know and 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 they can rise tenfold. That's the sort of very binary nature that these companies are pretty are are either highly valuable or worth nothing quite often because they might only have. That's one. the trouble. I mean, it's, that's why it's better probably to go into not necessarily his fund, but a fund that rather. That is investing in a number of shares because, as you say, I mean, two or three would be quite a good return on those. One out of ten would be still a success. Uh, absolutely. It? I mean, the, the stats are sort of you know the. I've seen arguments for and against it, but you know the old stat is that it costs more than half a billion dollars to get a new drug to, to to market. That might be a gross exaggeration, but you're talking tens of millions at least, and and something like only one in ten that enter trials actually make it that far. So there's a, a kind of hierarchical structure with a lot of small junior companies you know that, that that probably in all likelihood won't ever get anywhere in the same way in oil and gas as robin will know that there are lots of lots of aim quoted oil companies that that have never pumped a, a barrel and probably never will in this cl- uh, if, if prices go on like they do all right well lots to think about there and thank you all very much that's it for now but remember you can keep up to date with all the results we've been talking about uh, and the inflation report which uh, philip will be doing from the bank of england that's as they happen on our website and if you are a time subscriber don't forget to sign up to our morning uh, daily morning and lunchtime emails there's a special one pound offer for a subscription if you don't have one you can go to the times.co.uk for that and if you want to hear us weekly you can subscribe through itunes my thanks to philip aldrick marcus larue and robin pagnamenta they're all on twitter so please do follow them we'll be back next week thanks for listening thank you for downloading to discover more head to thetimes.co.uk your history is a new podcast brought to you from the times and it brings together the real life stories from our obituaries desk which have been published for over a century In this brand new show, we build on this legacy and explore the endlessly fascinating lives who have enriched and informed our own. Join me and our sponsor, Ancestry, as we journey through your history. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. This is Roundabout Season 2, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas, you will be timed. (laughs) (laughs) You will be right. (laughs) Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have, like, you know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. (laughs) This was, like, wilderness. A lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, yeah, you, you were different. Like you were real different. Bro. I can't really put my finger on it. And so much more. Just goes to show that unexpected yeah. things sometimes are the best when it comes to a road trip. Roundabout season two, presented by Nissan, is live now with new episodes rolling out every Thursday. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.